a number of you who were on the training evening will have will have heard me talk about the kind of journey behind um, Alpha Online across Elim. One of the reasons we've done it, why we've done it this way, is that churches can be flexible. Yeah, it's a national momentum and framework and backdrop. But as Elim churches, we're we're all about the local church. We've over five hundred local. Elim churches all serving in unique circumstances and situations and so we wanted to create a national vibe a national momentum for mission and evangelism to reach out and and really good news is that but we didn't want to be so restrictive so we've been quite flexible with Alpha but we're really really excited so I'm uh, I'm pretty buzzing about it all I don't know if you can tell there's something stirring in my heart and Imagine with me just for a second and maybe if you wish to say, Mark, what would be your desired outcome of really good news? Well, imagine, let's say we get we've got 140 churches signed up already. Let's say at the end of Alpha, 140 Elim churches have got a new connect group, small group with some people who've said yes to Jesus recently through this good news, really good news mission, but also filled with people that are still on that journey I mean that would be an amazing outcome wouldn't it and so what what is my desire what is my goal with really good news is that we see every healing church have a new life group connect group alpha group whatever you want to call it established with some new believers and searching believers and whether that's 24 in a group probably shouldn't be this probably should multiply that or whether it's just a couple um, I, I don't mind. I just think it'd be really, really exciting. So I'm really excited to begin to chat with you this morning and just begin to ask the question, what what does it look like to be on mission as a church? Well, I think we've got some idea because really good news is about being on mission. And uh, but I want to just share with you some some thoughts and uh, by way of uh, introducing that, I, I want to uh, read you a little story, which is one of my favourite stories. I, I know it really well. I've used it quite a bit. But uh, I just wonder, um, have you ever said to yourself, oh, I can't do that? Or, oh, no, no, Ch- you know, choose choose somebody else. They're, they're better at it than me. Or, oh, no, it's not it's not my thing. Have you ever have you ever found yourself saying that? No, the truth is sometimes it isn't your thing and somebody else should do it. But sometimes we, we default to, oh, no, I can't. I remember hearing this story a few years ago of a, a young family and two parents and two children, two boys, and they were primary school aged and how many of you know, for those of you who've had children, that you can have, say, two children, for example, uh, brought the same way, same stock, <laughs> same parents, but they're completely different. It's bizarre. My my, my young, uh, well, not so young family now are exactly like that. And uh, this family was, was no different. They had two primary school-aged children, and uh, one of them was kind of really positive, always saw potential in everything and the other one was more negative or a bit pessimistic really and always saw the negative in everything and they were really intrigued as to how the children would grow up and how they would handle life and so they they set a test one Saturday morning they had uh, two separate different things delivered for the optimistic positive child 
they had uh, a truckload of horse manure. I know, a truckload of horse manure delivered to the back garden. And for the for the sort of the negative, pessimistic child, they had loads of really expensive toys delivered to the sitting room. And uh, they woke up uh, that Saturday morning and uh, the grumpy or the pessimistic negative child went down into the sitting room and the optimistic child went out to the garden and they left it <clears throat> for about about 20 minutes, half an hour. And uh, they 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 went into the sitting room and thought, oh, I wonder I wonder what the, our negative child. I'm sure they didn't call him that. That was just their internal conversation. I wonder what our negative child is doing. And so they they went into the, the sitting room and opened up the door. And and there was the negative, pessimistic child crying by the toys. Come on. I know we're not in the same room, but let's have a big YouTube collective. Ah. Oh. Yeah, you don't mean it, do you? <laughs> and they said to him, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, oh, mummy and daddy, I know these toys are really lovely and really beautiful. And thank you so much for the buying them. But I'm I'm just worried that if I open them, I'll break them. I mean, that's really sad, isn't it? Meanwhile, they went out to the kitchen and opened their French doors and, and said, as they saw the the optimistic child burrowing around in the horse manure. Remember the Swedish chef from the Muppet Show, kind of really enjoying himself. And they said, hey, what are you doing? And he said, oh, mummy and daddy, with all this horse manure in here, there must be a horse in here somewhere. I love that, don't you? That optimistic child, optimistic outlook, optimistic view when... It's surrounded, the child surrounded by rubbish and just stuff that you want to, you know, put a peg on your nose or stay away from. I, I wonder, I wonder what your response is when it comes to thinking about mission and thinking about what it looks like and thinking about serving Jesus. Uh, are you one such who, yeah, you recognize that we've got all these fantastic things that our dispatch from God, but you just, maybe you're a bit negative. Maybe you're a bit scared of stepping out. Maybe it's because you've been hurt before or feel like you've failed before, but you're, you're negative. And the thought of mission and engaging, the thought of even alpha, and maybe you're just holding back saying, well, is it really going to work? Or, or maybe you're a little bit more like the optimistic child where even though it feels rubbish and let's face it, it does feel rubbish i'm i'm probably the most extreme example of a um uh, ex, uh, um ex what well, not extrovert int, extrovert that's the word i was looking for you tell i've not preached live much can't you and, and i've really i if i'm really honest i've i've struggled loads through lockdown i've had times where i've been fine if i even this weekend i've just hit one of those again one of those numb places. And I thought, gosh, this is this is really, really hard. So I, I'm not on about ignoring the reality here. But how do we respond with all the rubbish around us? Well, undeniably, this is a unique time and a unique tool uh, to get involved with mission, with people in our world right now in a kind of existential place, being confronted with death and losing all the things that, 
they have placed so much value on and all the things that they cherish and love so much. We are in literally a unique opportunity. And I want to encourage you to come with me as we say, Lord, use us as we engage in this mission. And I want to encourage you to invite your friends along to Alpha and to get engaged. Well, I want to say to you this morning, just a few very, very simple things to encourage you. And the first thing is, if you think you can't, you can just change your focus. Come with me, if you will, to a fairly well-known bit of the Bible that we often use when thinking about sharing our faith. And for those of you who know you well, you know your way well around the Bible, you'll know what I mean if I say to Matthew, turn to Matthew 28 verses 16 to 20. And if anybody's listening here this morning and not quite familiar with the Bible, then let me read those words to you. Uh, It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Note those three words. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of, pardon me, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey, not necessarily to understand, but to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Even as I just read that last sentence there you I mean that that is enough isn't it it's almost like God saying well it goes without saying but I feel I need to say it anyway for you and surely I'm with you always uh, to the very end of the age but come with me if you will because it's a really interesting passage I have probably preached on this passage more probably than any other passage certainly in terms of when speaking to people who know Jesus And uh, a few years ago now, I I was just reading it and and I noticed the three words that I highlighted for you as I was reading it. I'd never noticed them before. How many of you know that so often you can read and read and read familiar bits of the Bible and then you can read it again. And all of a sudden it's like something jumps out that clearly the Holy Spirit is illuminating and accelerating in you. And you look at it and you go, how on earth did I manage to miss that? Well, this is one such bunch of sentences. See, I've been so carried away by the going to all the world. I've been so carried away by the magnificence of Jesus rocking up into this room that I'd missed this little tiny bit, though some doubted. Wow, how liberating is that? Any of you ever have doubts? Maybe some of you are listening here today and you've got your own doubts. Maybe during COVID, it's caused you to have some doubts. Uh, you may be listening and not yet decided whether um, you want to become a Jesus follower. And you've got all sorts of questions and, and doubts. And I would encourage you to sign up to Alpha yourself and come along. It's a great space to be able to journey with some of those doubts. But this is what impressed me. Jesus didn't look at them and say, come on. How many times have I told you? Yeah, like sort of nodding his head or shaking his head at them, sort of wagging the finger like maybe my mum used to do when, I, when I'd done something bad, which in my instance was fairly regularly, to be quite honest with you. But he didn't judge them or condemn them, did he? He, he looked at them and he said something really, really interesting. 
He said, he says, Jesus stood amongst them. They bowed down in worship, though some had doubts. So we can only assume that they all bowed down in worship because that seems to be the context. They all bowed down in worship. Though some of the ones that were bowing down and worshiping this Jesus stood in front of them, the very Jesus who'd risen from the dead, they doubted. And what did Jesus do? He said, look, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So wherever you go, so that's the first thing. He didn't look at them and say, come on, pull yourself together, sort yourself out. You've got all this power, all this authority, all these good resources. Be more optimistic, be more positive. Didn't do that, did he? He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, he turned their focus to him. You see, if you think you can't, you can just change your focus and focus on Jesus. And in the focusing on Jesus and, and, and engaging with him and understanding afresh with him, then we begin to realize he's the one that's all the authority. He's the one that will bring people to him. We can do what we can do, but he does what we can't do. And so we just need to focus on him. And the critical thing when making disciples and in Elim, we're all about making disciples. One of our four priorities is making disciples. We believe in growing churches, uh, raising leaders and reaching nations. Those are our four priorities. And, and, and one of our priorities is making disciples. We believe in that. Jesus focused, Jesus empowered disciples who will make Jesus empowered, Jesus focused disciples. Now, why did he do that? It's really interesting why he did that. Now, I can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt 100 percent why i think jesus said look just go out and make disciples apart from i know he wanted them to make disciples but why didn't he deal with their doubts why didn't he say look sign up to alpha why didn't he say okay let's spend six weeks together well the truth is he just spent three years with them like you know if they doubted them for goodness sake but here's my sneaky suspicion and i can't prove it but i think you might agree with me you see i know that when i'm feeling rubbish feeling a bit down and, and there's times when i do that actually the best thing for me to do is go and tell somebody about jesus so i've got this sneaky feeling that jesus knew that all he needed to do was to get them going out there telling the people about they've, what they've seen. Folks, I want to tell you, if you want to grow in your faith, give it away. If you want to become more and more muscled up in your strength of faith, give it away. Make disciples. What does it look like on mission? It looks like a whole bunch of people full of doubts, full of wondering whether God can use them, full of even doubt in their own faith, but become even more fired up and encouraged and built up in their faith as they go and tell people about him. If you think you can't, you can just change your focus. Second thing I want to say to you this morning is if you think you can't, you can, even if you don't have any resources. Now, just for the sake of time this morning, um, I'm not going to read the next passage, but uh, you'll be familiar with it. It's the, it's the feeding of the 5,000. For those of you who want to just turn it up in your Bibles, if you nip to Matthew 14, 13 to 21, for those of you who are familiar, you, you can just follow it through there. But what I find really interesting about this passage, it's probably one of the most um, well-known stories in the Bible. It's probably one of the most well-used in Sunday schools or school assemblies or family services. 
But I want to suggest something to you. See, it's the only gospel or miracle, forgive me, that appears in all four gospels. So that's interesting, isn't it? Could it be that there's something we need to learn from this of, of ultimate importance? I don't know. But what I do know is it appears in all four gospels. And the interesting thing is, only I believe it is in, I think it's Mark's gospel, forgive me uh, for not knowing 100%. I think it's just in Mark's gospel where it actually even introduces the concept or the, the truth of the little boy. And often when we tell this story, you know, we might tell it like he's turned up and, you know, there's 5,000 people there and he's the only one with a picnic. He's the only one that's got food. And uh, and he, he, he offers it to Jesus. And then the application that we draw out of that is, you know, offer what little bit you've got to Jesus and he'll use it. Now, whilst that is true for me, I don't think this is the first application, the primary application, if you will, or even the application from this passage. I, I think that is a truth that you can see in other passages, like when God said to Moses, what is that in your hand at the burning bush? I, I get that. But I don't think this is the right application. Forgive me for being so bold. Why? Because nowhere in the four Gospels, does it say the little boy gave his food to Jesus? I mean, that would have been a, a bigger miracle, wouldn't it, than feeding of the 5,000, the little boy giving away his food. <laughs> but what we do read is Simon Peter's having this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, you feed them. And he must have been thinking, like, if it was me, I'd have been thinking, you're having a laugh, aren't you? I mean, you have you seen, have you been working too hard again, Jesus? Uh, have you seen how many people there are? And it's like, you know, like all we've got here is like, it's like five loaves and two fishes. And if I'm the little boy, I'm thinking, we, all we've got here, never mind, we, you haven't got anything. That's my lunch. Give him it back. That's what I would have been thinking. You see, for me, the bigger truth here is if you think you can, you can. Even if you haven't got the resources, they didn't have any resources. They just didn't have it. In fact, the only thing they had wasn't theirs. It was something they nicked. I'm sure that would have been brought up under safeguarding issues in today's culture. They didn't have anything. And, and actually, that for me is more encouraging. Because, yes, they didn't have any every, anything. But actually, they had everything. See, it wasn't so much about the five loaves. It was really all about them. <laughs> you know what? When, when we recognise who we are and what God has given us, and if God asks you and me to do something, we are all he needs. What does it look like on mission? It looks like a whole bunch of people that just feel they don't have any resource, but who recognise that they are all that Jesus needs to fulfill his mission. I um, I was watching TV many, many years ago and there's a lot of rubbish on. Uh, I think it was Virgin TV, the package. Other packages are available. And there's nothing on TV. And the great thing about Virgin TV is when you can't find anything on TV, you've got like about 80 channels that you can skip through and then skip all the way back and you've passed the night away. 
So you've now got 80 channels where there's a load of rubbish on, but it kind of passes the night away. And I saw this program called, I think it was Extreme Knitting, and that, that immediately got my attention. I was intrigued. There was this program about how people did extreme things, like one person jumped out of an aeroplane uh, with, with an ironing board strapped to him, ironing clothes. I mean, how long was that extension lead? But it just occurred to me, this is just craziness. And I don't know who was crazy, me or them, what, them or me watching, to be fair. But it just made me think, I wonder how often I take risks for Jesus. And I'm not on about like crazy, stupid stuff here, because we've got to be careful that. But I wonder, I wonder how often we take risks. What does it look like a mission? It looks like a load of people taking some risks with no resources, but understanding that what they've got is the greatest resource. And that's themselves. And if Jesus asks us to do something, we can do it. If you think you can't, you can just change your focus. If you think you can't, you can, even if you don't feel you've got the resources. And finally, this morning, if you think you can't, you can just understand that God's already done it. When I moved to Kenilworth, where I live now, 15, 16 years ago, um, I remember being a little bit frustrated because I didn't really know that many people. In fact, we knew, we knew very few people at all, really. Certainly not well enough to ask. So Emma and I moved with our, our oldest daughter, who at the time was about five, six months old. I remember all the boxes just piled everywhere. I remember looking for certain items and thinking, gosh, are we ever going to find these items? Goodness me, what a what a nightmare. And uh, because Robin was so young, one of us had to look after her whilst the other uh, looked for things and did things and unpacked boxes. And I remember saying to Emma once, wouldn't it be great if we could like, if we could get somebody either to come and look after our little one or, or just to come and, and help us unpack a box. If we could get a couple of people or one other person, that would mean we could find the lost items that we're looking for twice as fast and potentially find lost more lost items along the way. Oh, but wouldn't it then be great if we could get maybe another three people? So that would give us four people looking so we could find the lost items potentially four times quicker and maybe find four more, more lost items along the way. Or imagine eight or 16 or 32. Imagine if we could get a whole bunch of people looking for lost items. I mean, how quick? Would we find the lost items? How many more lost items would we find along the way? Not only would we find the ones that we were looking for, but the ones that we weren't looking for. I mean, just imagine, people, if we could mobilise a great, a great family, a great community of people looking for lost items. How amazing would that be? What does it look like on mission? It looks like a whole bunch of people who are totally focused on Jesus as being the one who rescues us, being the one who rescues people, being the one who saves people, being the one who motivates us and fills us up. Even though we don't feel we've got the resources, we know that Jesus and in us is the only resource we need and that we go out fully knowing that we can mobilise as many people to look for the lost people knowing that Jesus is already at work. If you think you can't, you can. Just understand that God's already done it. 
probably another well-known passage in the Bible when thinking about mission and evangelism is Matthew 9, 35 to 38. For those of you familiar with the Bible, you can turn to that. It says that the fields are white unto harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, send out workers to harvest his crops or the crops rather. And you've heard it preached many a time that the problem's never been with the harvest, it's with the workers. I honestly believe 100% that Jesus and God are at work in people through the Holy Spirit and that the more people we mobilise, the more people we can get to discovering where God's at work in people's lives, that he's already out there doing stuff. There are people in your streets where God is already at work and mission is about getting involved with where God's at work. Make your life a mission, not an intermission. Make it a mission, not an intermission. We cannot bring Christ to, so we cannot bring the whole world to Christ, but we can bring Christ to the whole world. How do we do that? By bringing Christ to one more person. I want to finish by saying uh, a couple more things. Uh, the first thing I want to point you to is just the resource that I've produced. You, you heard me speak on it a little bit, some of you, when I came across to your church uh, probably 18 months or now ago. Big yes, little yes, healthy maybe, a new framework for evangelism. I can't remember at that point. should check back, really. I think I just published the book, had I? I can't remember. But anyway... Let me encourage you. I really believe strongly that God has given me something for the UK church to help it uh, share faith with people in a way that connects. I, I've never been so bold about anything that I've written. This is the only book I've ever written on evangelism, but I believe it's something from God that if you want to be effective, it's worth reading. Just recently as well, we've um, produced a study guide with it as well that you can buy to, to go through the book. I, I, I want to really encourage you to get equipped by buying those resources. They're available from my website, which is www.revmarkgreenwood.com. If you go on there, have a little look. There's two resources called Big Yes, Look, Yes, Healthy, Maybe. Well, one, the book, two, the study guide, and then there's a free ebook. And if I was writing Big Yes, Look, Yes, Healthy, maybe now, I would include a chapter about reaching people in the online space. So I've just written an extra ebook, a single chapter ebook, um, which you can have completely free of charge, whether you buy those two books as well. So nip along to redmarkcreamwood.com. But let me urge you and encourage you to download, to, to download that and to buy those two books and the whole bunch of other resources to help get you mission ready to help get you mission ready to reach people with this incredible really really good news so practically speaking maybe you could share those stories we've got loads of easter stuff you'll be having easter stuff invite your friends along to that invite your friends along to alpha um just before then i finished i said i had two things one final thing and it's just a little story really and then uh, i'm gonna hand back over to Sam this morning I, I read this it's probably a story that's inspired me the most out of any story that I've ever read it's not a funny story it's not a long story 
it's not a story from the Bible, uh, but it's inspired me a lot. So outside of the Bible, this story, I would say, is probably my greatest inspiration. And it involves a, a gentleman by the name of Sir Christopher Wren, who I'm sure you've heard. For those of you who don't know, he's a very famous architect, known for designing all sorts of things, but not, not least um, St. Paul's Cathedral in London, an absolutely beautiful, um, beautiful building. And uh, he, the design went and they were building the building. And he was just fascinated as to the attitude of different workers. And so he went up to different people, said, oh, what are you doing? And so somebody might say, I'm, you know, I'm laying bricks or I'm I'm moving something in a wheelbarrow. Somebody else said, I, I, I'm sawing some wood. Somebody else said, I'm cutting some glass and et cetera, et cetera. And he went up to one worker and said, what are you doing? And the worker simply said, I'm building a magnificent cathedral. I love that. I love that. What are you doing? I'm running Zoom. What are you doing? Well, when we get back to meeting, I'm setting up some chairs. I'm making some coffee. I'm making one of those fantastic buffet lunches for Mark Greenwood again when he comes to speak because he loved it so much. You guys do that so well. It was so nice. I'm clearing up after we've met. I'm setting up PA, I'm doing the projector. You're not. You're building a magnificent cathedral. And I pray that this inspires you and encourages you. Because what does it look like on mission? It looks like a whole bunch of people building a magnificent cathedral. Amen. <laughs>